Thank you, Bill. Well, good morning, everyone. Like Bill said, my name's Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are beginning a new series in the book of Acts that we're going to be uh, diving into basically from here until about Thanksgiving. And then from there, we'll uh, uh, pivot into a, a series on Advent and the coming of Jesus and Christmas. But here's where we're going with this series. As we were planning out the fall and kind of uh, just strategic, uh, kind of strategizing together as a team and thinking through where God might be leading us uh, in, in this season of our church life. We created some space where we just got each of our staff to kind of have some time to reflect and think and basically sit on the question, what do I feel like the Spirit is doing in my life? Where do I think the Spirit might be taking our church? And as we went around the room sharing kind of what we just kind of sensed from the Spirit, not saying thus says God, but just kind of like, this is just the inkling I have in my heart. There was just this consistent theme to a person over and over and over again that we just sensed that God was leading us to this place of greater expectancy, greater expectancy for the presence of God in our lives personally, in our gathered life as a church, greater expectancy for power from the Holy Spirit. It was this word more that came up over and over and over again. And we had already planned that we would be going through the book of Acts, but as we were going around the room, we just said, well, we feel that th there is something here. There's something that God is leading us into, uh, into this season. And so as we tackle this book of Acts, which is a history of the earliest followers of Jesus, what they did after encountering the risen Jesus and what it looked like for this message of Jesus, this coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus, what God was doing through Jesus to go from this upstart, small group of nobodies at a far-flung province of the Roman Empire to now coming to, to be a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and everything it says about what is God is doing in our time and place now as we tackle this book. Here's why we're doing it for where we think God is leading us in this season. We're, we're tackling the book of Acts, essentially asking the question, what does God want to do in our time and our place through this people here in the South Bay? We're using this as something that would spark our imagination for what God might want to do in our lives personally and where God might want to take us collectively as a people. We're going to see over and over again, and each week we're going to see how God is continuing the mission of Jesus through the people of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit here in the South Bay. And so that's where we're going. We're going to be in Acts 1, uh, 1 to 11. So if you want to pull that up on your device, if you've got an old school uh, print a Bible you want to pull that up with. Also, you can also just listen if neither of those are an option or appealing to you. Uh, I'll read. But before we get into it, uh, I'm, we're just going to create a little space to, um, to center our hearts on the Lord right now. So right now, I'm going to guide us in some, just some prayer. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray again, and then we'll dive into it. But right now, before we even read the text, let's just take a moment individually to, in our own words, in the quiet of our hearts before the Lord to ask God to speak and to ready ourselves to listen. So right now, kind of just where you're sitting, quietly looking over the ocean, close your eyes, whatever's comfortable to you, just um, I'm going to invite you in a posture of openness, just to one hand, two hands, just lift a palm up in a, in a posture of openness. And if that's uncomfortable for you, that's fine. You don't have to do it, but it's an invitation. And right now, just in, in your own words, don't have to be fancy, don't have to be exact, just whatever feels natural to you. Just ask God to speak to you right now as we look at scripture. And say something like, God, I pray that you would speak. Give me open ears to listen. God, would you speak? 
Acts 1, 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, that's the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, as he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word for us this morning, written by the writer Luke in his own style and language and context, but inspired by the Spirit of God. And every time we open up God's word, he has something to say to us. So let's pray now collectively as we've prayed individually that God would speak. God, we do pray that you would speak. We thank you that your word is living and active. God, that you speak to us by your spirit as we look at your word. So right now, God, as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts? I pray, God, for every single person here gathered on this beach, every single person joining online, would you give us each a fresh word? Whether this is very familiar and we've read this passage before or heard these concepts before, maybe we've been walking with Jesus for a while, I pray that you would speak to those folks. I pray for those of us that uh, wouldn't consider ourselves followers of Jesus yet. We're not sure if we believe any of this. We're just interested in exploring. Would you speak to them as well? I thank you that every single person here matters to you. You know us inside and out. You love us. You see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and still you invite us to live life with you by your grace. You love us unconditionally, God. We praise you for that. God, I pray that you would work right now to give us not just information in our heads, but transformation in our hearts, that we become the kind of women and men that you always made us to be. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we're safe to bring all of ourselves into the light with you because of your grace. And I pray that you would speak. We love you because you loved us first. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's not an overstatement to say that we are living through one of the most pronounced periods of change in living memory. Of course, the pandemic and all the ways that the pandemic shaped the way that we relate to each other and to our communities and to our work has changed so much. There's now the rise of remote work in a new way that did not exist to the extent that it exists before. And that has changed the way that we relate to our vocational life, changed the ways that we relate to place and where we live. There's been a great shift of, of movement, people moving to new locations because we now have the freedom to do so because we're not anchored into one place. And so there's a a reordering based on values, based on uh, lifestyle preferences, based on affordability, based on all kinds of things. There's huge shifts and movements of people. There's what some people are calling the great resignation as uh, people have been reevaluating over the last couple of years uh, what it is exactly they want out of life and what they're doing. And people have been uh, resigning from jobs uh, as a result as they're re uh, 
evaluating. There's been a slew of hot button cultural issues and broad conversations that we've been having that have been shifting our mindset and culture in ways both good and bad. And all this is taking place over the last few years in the context of a broader movement of cultural change and even larger shift and the pandemic has just accelerated all those things and all this change is largely inspired by the invention of this bad boy right here. We're now as our, uh, in our period of mass interconnectivity and 24-7 interconnectivity. We're in a whole new world of ways of relating to each other and ourselves and our work and community in general. We are in a massive period of cultural shift. Writing a couple years ago, before the pandemic, so before the, the, the realities of the pandemic kind of accelerated many of the shifts that were already happening, a, uh, a sociologist, um, put it this way, when describing the shift that we are undergoing in the way that people go about forming romantic relationships, he said this, he said, we are in uncharted territory. There have been two major transitions in how people form romantic relationships over the course of human history. The first was 10 to 15,000 years ago when in the agricultural revolution, when we invented farming and became less migratory and more settled. The second is today with the rise of the internet. So we are in a period of history, the likes of which we have never seen before, except when we invented farming, right? Like that's the kind of cultural shift that we're going through. It's like going from a hunt, like going from like hunting deer in the woods to like now on a farm, like we're in that level of shift culturally. And one of the great invitations of life with Jesus is to ask what God might be up to in our lives during seasons of disruption and change, because this is real life, the changes are real life, the interruptions are real life, and God is really working. Speaking of interruptions and seasons of disruption and change, I love the way that the writer C.S. Lewis put it. He put it like this. He said, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or quote, real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. This is real life and God is really working. And one of the great invitations of life with Jesus is to ask ourselves, what might God be doing in my life, in our shared life as people committed to following Jesus together or exploring life with Jesus together? What might he be up to? And um, I think that in seasons like this, and in our moment in particular, one of the things that God might be up to is that however you're experiencing our cultural moment, that this is a moment to re-anchor ourselves in what is most true. What is most true of God, what is most true of ourselves in him, and what is most true of our shared life and calling that God has invited us to as his people. That God is inviting us to re-anchor ourselves in what is most true in the midst of so many, so many things that are changing, in the midst of, of reevaluating the ways that we relate to our communities and our place and our work, in the midst of uh, kind of re-engaging with the world in a new way after having been, uh, after having been away for a while or whatever the, the realities might be for you individually. It's a season to re-anchor ourselves in what is most true. 
And the book of Acts guides us to that place as we get to witness what God did through the earliest Christians, what he still wants to do through us today by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we see that in his people, the mission of Jesus continues, that Jesus's mission is our mission, that we've been invited to the very story of Jesus, not just to receive from the story of Jesus, but to be participants in the story of Jesus in the world. Acts 1, 1 to 11, the text we're looking at in particular, shows us that one of the things that is most true is that Jesus's mission is our mission. So to put it simply, here's where we'll spend the rest of our time, that Jesus has work as we unpack Acts 1 to 11. We'll see that Jesus has work that is ongoing, it's still happening, and Jesus has work that is finished. And you and I and us, sh- to, and us together, our shared life together, are invited to partake in both. That Jesus has work that's ongoing, and Jesus has work that is finished, and we're each and us together invited to partake in both. So we'll dive in. Let's see how Jesus's work is ongoing. Jesus's ongoing work that we see in this passage that sets up the whole trajectory of the book of Acts. Acts 1.1, in the first book, the first book is the Gospel of Luke. So Luke, uh, the gospel writer, we actually meet him in the book of Acts as he comes and joins uh, a character that, well, not a character, a real person, um, but in the context of the, the, the book of Acts, uh, as he meets someone named the Apostle Paul, who if you're not familiar with, he's uh, a very important figure in the life of the early church. But um, so uh, we meet Luke, Luke's the, the writer here, so he's an eyewitness to many of the things that we're, we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke, and then interviews eyewitnesses to put together, I'm not the Gospel of Luke, sorry, he's an eyewitness to the events of the book of Acts, and then interviews eyewitnesses for the book of Luke. But um, he writes the, the Gospel of Acts. I was got the <laughs> tongue tied. Writes the Gospel of Luke, and now in the Gospel of Acts, he continues the story. In the first book, O Theophilus, the recipient of the book, some people think real person. It, uh, it's a name. It means lover of God. So it could be a real person that he's writing to. Could be a general uh, lover of God, like person following Jesus. I'm inclined to think real person, but don't want to be dogmatic about it. But in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things, and here's the kicker, that Jesus began to do and to teach. So first thing that Luke says as he opens the book is, I wrote something else that was all about the life of Jesus. This whole work where I covered the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, all of that was the beginning of what Jesus did and taught. Everything that Jesus did while physically present here on earth was the beginning. It's what Jesus began to do and to teach. Strong implication, because that was the beginning, is that there is more ongoing because what follows the beginning. The rest of the story, right? The, the, the beginning is just what sets up the rest. And so the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the story, not the sum total of the story that we're invited to. Jesus has ongoing work. It's what his life, death, resurrection is what he began to do, but there is something that he is still doing. And the, and the text here, Luke tells us what that might be. See, in Acts 1, uh, 6 through 7, so Luke uh, kind of sums up a little bit of, of what he covered in the Gospel of Luke, more on that uh, later. But uh, he then shifts to now Jesus' interaction with his disciples. 
after his resurrection, verse 6, so they'd come together and the disciples ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And then verse 7, Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And this is a really interesting insight, I think, into what Jesus's ongoing work might be. Because you'll notice this question, Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus's response is really interesting because uh, they're coming to him and their expectation, which surely is at least flawed in what their understanding of what Jesus will now do is. They've got, a, they've got an idea of, okay, Jesus, you rose from the dead, and so now you are going to now reign as king here on earth in your people Israel immediately. And that's, uh, I, I, I have many times uh, uh, for a long period of my life as I read this passage, I just thought the disciples were straight up wrong. Like they're just misinformed. But the more you look at Jesus's reaction, Jesus doesn't actually correct their question. Now, that's not to say that their perceptions of what that might mean for Jesus to be king are entirely right. I think surely they, they have a limited picture. In fact, as we learn over the course of the New Testament and as the spirit continues to speak through his people and as the earliest followers of Jesus early on kind of make some mistakes earlier on and become overly focused on one people group, not all people groups, they probably were mistaken in their understanding of what it meant for Jesus to be king. And yet, Jesus does not correct their assumption that he will be king. He just says, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons. So they ask, are you going to be king now? And their perception of what it meant for Jesus to be king is probably a little off. But he doesn't correct the assumption that he will be king. He just simply says, it's not for you to know when that's going to happen. And I think this is a really interesting insight to what Jesus is doing now. What is his ongoing work? Because later in Acts 1.11, as uh, Jesus has now ascended back into heaven and given his ministry off to his people, uh, the angel that's there with them tells them that he is going to be now coming back at some point in the future. And this idea is that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves. He's made a way for us to be reconciled to God by coming in his life, uh, revealing the kingdom of God in his life, dying in our place as our substitute to take the penalty of sin in himself and rising to new life in victory over sin, death, and the powers of darkness. But what Jesus is, where the story is going, the big picture story is not just that we all get a ticket to heaven. The big picture story is that God is going to, is in this process of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And there's coming a day when Jesus returns where, where creation itself will be renewed. That the great hope of the good news of Jesus is not merely that all the holy people get zapped up into heaven. The great hope of the good news of Jesus is that God is going to renew creation itself, that he's going to be king here on earth as it is in heaven, that life here in this broken world where we experience pain and suffering and disappointment and enslavement to sin and injustice and all kinds of the pain of a broken world, that all of that will be undone in, the, in a coming day where Jesus comes to reign as king, where creation is renewed, where all the, the, the damaging effects, the corrosive power of sin, is, is destroyed and God renews creation and life will be as it was always meant to be. And in the meantime, Jesus is working. Jesus is drawing a people to himself. Jesus is opening hearts and bringing redemption and bringing restoration and bringing reconciliation between God and people and because God and people now people with each other. God is creating a new people in the meantime. 
But the hope is not just a ticket to heaven. The hope is renewed creation, that God is working in Jesus. Jesus has work that is ongoing. Okay, what does that have to do with me? Well, Jesus says this to his disciples in Acts 1-9. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That we are gonna experience, he says to his disciples, you are gonna experience the very presence of God in the Holy Spirit, more on that in a moment. And as you experience power from the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be my witnesses. That I have work that I'm doing, but you will be the ones through whom I do that work. That, that my, in the words of Jesus, my mission is now your mission. I think there's a reason that scripture frequently uses the image of a body to describe the church. A part of it is the scripture just uses the image of a body because the body has many parts that all work together as one whole. But also, I think the image of the body is significant because the body is physically present. The body is, when you interact with a person, you are not interacting with a disembodied spirit. You're, you, are, you are interacting with a physically present, proximate person. And the church is that for the work of Jesus in the world. The church is the physical presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the world. God's people is to be the physical presence of Jesus in the world. We fall short of that in many, 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 many ways and have throughout history in many, 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 many ways. But our beautiful calling is to be the embodied presence of Jesus in Jesus's world, to be his witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. This word weakness in Greek, it's martus. It, it simply just means someone who has seen something important or amazing and shares what they have seen. And so that's our calling is in the power of the Holy Spirit is to have witnessed something important or amazing, encountering Jesus himself and reconciliation with God because of Jesus, forgiveness of sin, a new secure identity in the love of God, a, a basis of relating to God, not on our performance, and a basis of relating to ourselves, not on our performance, but on the very grace of God, the ongoing presence of God in our lives by the Holy Spirit. We've been a witness to something amazing. And we now get to share what we've witnessed and seen with the world around us. And as we do so, the kingdom of God breaks in. As we do so, Jesus as king and the reconciliation and redemption and restoration that comes with it is breaking into the world. And this happens, this witnessing happens in both showing and telling. Because, of course, a witness tells what they have seen. That's part of the very basis. There's a, there's a, a, frequently, a frequently cited quote, probably misattributed or likely misattributed anyway, from a guy named Francis of Assisi. The quote goes like this. Share the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Now, the idea of sharing the gospel always through both action, not just words, beautiful. But you can't be a witness if you never use words, right? Like, can you imagine a, a witness comes to a stand in a trial and, the, and the, they're, they're doing a, they're doing a and the one, one lawyer's asking their questions and there's a cross-examination and they're supposed to be witnessing to what they've seen and what they've heard. And instead they're like, I won't use words. I'll just, I'll show you with my life what, I, what I've seen and heard. That would, it would do nothing for the trial, right? Like there, it, it's, it's far too ambiguous. There's far too much room for interpretation of what, what could possibly mean. No, you have to use words at some level, but it can't be merely words because if you've truly encountered something important and amazing, if it's only words, 
I'm honestly very suspect about whether or not you've encountered something important and amazing. There's a, both a showing and a telling involved in witnessing. And so it's, it's not merely words, but it is both words and living out a new kind of life. And we carry on the mission of Jesus by showing and telling the world about the good news of Jesus, that God is renewing his creation from bondage and sin and death and the powers of darkness through the Son of God going in our place to pay our debt of sin. So now we have an entirely new way of relating to God and to ourselves and to others that is not based on our performance, that we have the great hope of the love of God that secures us forever. We are to bear witness to these beautiful truths in both showing and telling. Now, stepping into this calling is going to mean something different for each of us, depending on where we're coming in this morning. Some of you guys, you've been following Jesus for a while, and the great invitation is to take a bold step of faith to be more intentional with the way that you live your life as a witness. For others, maybe you, you don't even consider yourself a follower of Jesus yet. And so you're like, what the heck does this even have to do with me, right? And the invitation is to continue exploring Jesus. Continue exploring this thing that others around you are saying that they have witnessed and that it is important and amazing. For others of you, maybe you're just beginning life with Jesus and you're like, I don't even know what I would like, I don't even know what this means for me personally. How on earth would I begin to include others in this also? And maybe that just means continuing to press into life with Jesus and taking small steps of faith to being vulnerable and transparent with what God is doing in your life. But for each of us, there is a step to take that may not be the same depending on how we're coming into this morning, but is nevertheless a step of invitation into the shared mission of Jesus that he's continuing through his people. And this is a beautiful invitation that meets us right at our longing for purpose. You know, I, I um, just as a person living in our cultural moment, but as, as a pastor and um, as I just unpack life with friends, we're in a moment where we long for purpose. You know, the purpose is a longing at the heart, at, at, at every human heart, uh, something to live for. I think at our moment where there's, uh, not only do we have more opportunities uh, to make decisions about what to do with our life than most people in human history have had, but also a little bit less clear direction on what those decisions should be as we have been given more freedom, we have this pronounced sense of our longing for purpose. Um, one researcher uh, put it like this in an article in the Huffington Post a couple years ago. He said, it's officially time to do away with the spent and ineffective motivation tactics of the last century. People aren't motivated by acquiring and achieving things. Of course, we want those things, but that's not a core motivation of the human heart. He says, we are motivated by fulfilling a purpose. It's a core longing of the human heart. And one of the great ways that we fall short as a people of Jesus is when we, when, is when we sell the great calling and purpose of life with Jesus short. We drop the ball when we present life with Jesus in a way that sells short the incredible story that we are swept up to and the eternal purpose to which we're called when we say yes to following Jesus. We miss the sweet spot of life with Jesus when we think of life with Jesus as being only about me. 
when it's only about receiving and God wants to give so much. He gives grace upon grace upon grace, but we miss the sweet spot, the beauty of what God wants to do in our life, the great purpose of what God wants to do in our life when we make it only about receiving. We make it only about me when it's just about a little pick-me-up and Monday motivation. We're missing something beautiful about what God wants to do in our lives, not only through us, but actually in us. We, we sell short the amazing story that we're swept in, up into when we make the mission of Jesus only about specific church programs. When, when the mission of Jesus is like, here's the great purpose of your life. Invite people to come to this one event. And you're like, cool, I, I can do that. But is that like the purpose of my life? Like that is a very small vision, even if that event is amazing, even if that program is amazing. And it leads to so much compartmentalization where what God wants to do in my life is only in this one little category of my life. And I give God that one little category, but then God's not really doing anything else through the rest of my life. But what God is inviting us to is whole life purpose that touches every area of our life where Every, uh, every compartmentalized, if you want to think about, about it in that way, every area of our life is a part of this purpose. Jesus' church collectively, and we as individuals who make up the church, are the vehicle through which God is continuing to do what he wants to do and say what he wants to say to a world that desperately needs it. Jesus is working through his people. And you want to talk about purpose? When you go to work tomorrow, when you parent your kids today and tomorrow and every day, when you go to a happy hour with some friends after work tomorrow, when you say hi to your neighbor tomorrow, when you involve yourself in a cause of mercy and justice that you're passionate about, when you build relationships with a new person that just moved down the street or in, uh, down the hall in your building, when you, uh, when you give a call to a friend that you haven't spoken to in a long time, you are doing so as a vehicle through which Jesus is doing what he wants to do and saying what he wants to say in a world that desperately needs it. And this isn't a message about a specific how-to of what that looks like. We'll dive into some of the ways that God works specifically and specific steps of faith that he's inviting our church community to participate in as we follow him. But this is, this is a, to begin with, an invitation to a new way about thinking about our life, to dreaming about what it would look like for our sphere of influence to be captured by the redeeming, restoring love of God. What would it look like if in our sphere of influence it was on earth as it, was in, as it is in heaven? And what would it look like to take steps of faith, small, slow steps of faith, to begin to seeing that happen through us as God's people? And the beauty is, this is the sweet spot of life with Jesus. Personally, a huge part of my story of intimacy with God has to do with being invited to take steps of faith to participate in the mission of God, the mission that Jesus is doing through his people. Um, my story is right at the end of high school, I was uh, following Jesus in name only. I was saved, uh, but life with Jesus was kind of the last thing on my mind. And I was invited to help start a youth group. Um, and that, uh, you know, I was given an invitation. Hey, do you, do you, wanna, do you want there to be this new youth group? Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? Of course. That's good. That's a good thing. Great. So, like, you're kind of the first guy, right? Yeah, I guess so. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of wild. I'm the first one. Yeah, so cool. You kind of need to, like, invite some people to join you if you want this to be a thing, right? Oh, God, you tricked me, right? This is what the tacos were for. There's an ipso facto here. 
However, as I begin thinking about what I would actually say to my friends, none of whom even really knew that I was following Jesus and none of whom were following Jesus themselves, as I begin thinking about what I would even say to broach the topic, and as I begin having those conversations, that was the actual catalyst for me encountering Jesus in a personal, fresh way that I had never experienced before. That was the catalyst for me realizing that the gospel really is good, beautiful news, not just for people around me, but for me personally. That was the catalyst for me having an intimate relationship with the Lord where I sensed the spirit at work in my life. This is the sweet spot of life. And I think as we think about this dynamic relationship with God through the Holy Spirit and we think, man, that just, that sounds like something I don't have. I wonder if one of the reasons we don't encounter more intimacy with God, more of a sensed presence of his presence in our lives is that we are putting a cap on what it means to say yes to Jesus. We're putting a cap on what it means to be participating in the mission of Jesus. And to the extent that which we step out in that mission, we'll experience more of him personally. This is the sweet spot of life with Jesus. But if it's just about participating in mission, if it's just about being participants in what God wants to do in the world, man, that's going to be tiring if that's the end of the story, if that's the extent of the story. And the last thing we need is more things on our to-do list, more things pressing for our time, more obligations for our already very busy lives. One journalist looking at our cultural landscape recently described burnout as the, quote, contemporary condition. If the story is only about what we must do, man, this is an exhausting story. But that's not the end of the story. There's ongoing work of Jesus that we're called to participate in, but there's finished work as well, and this is how we'll end. We see also in this passage, not only this incredible story that we're swept up to and called to take steps of faith to participate in, but also we see work that is finished that we're invited to participate in. Work finished for us. In verse three, as Luke is summing up the finished life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what he covered in the gospel of Luke, he says this, he says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by, suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. It's just this throwaway line, but it's this beautiful, quick summary of what God has done for us in Jesus, that Jesus suffered on our behalf. And this is written to people who have, who have already read the book of Luke, and so they know what he's referring to here, even in this just little throwaway line, but the suffering of the creator of the universe, the, the, the son, Jesus, who became one of us and suffered in our place, that he, uh, he came as a man, fully God and fully human, tempted as we are tempted, but without sin, and yet he suffered in our place. He went to the cross bearing the full weight and penalty of your sin and my sin, putting it on his own shoulders, experiencing the horrible reality that it invites into the world, experiencing the just judgment that we all deserve. He put it in himself because of love for us. And because of that, all sin, past, present, and future, can be forgiven on, in because of Jesus' cross. That we see in the suffering of God, the great love of God, the suffering of Jesus, the great love of God for you and for me. We see that God has done for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves because the Son of God took our place on the cross. 
And then he rose again in victory over sin and death and the powers of darkness and is bringing the kingdom of God. There's a finished work for you and for me. There's a new reality that we're invited into that is not something that we earn. It's not something that we work towards. It's not something that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps for. It is the unconditional love of God that we're invited to receive that's already been accomplished for us on Jesus's cross. But that's not just theoretical, it's personal. It's not just that we're invited to see that Jesus did something cosmic for us that theoretically, okay, great, yes, I guess my, my theoretical problem of alienation from God is, is dealt with and now I can kind of, kind of tell myself over and over again that my sin is forgiven and it's this theoretical thing. No, it's personal because Jesus promises to his disciples something that they would receive that now we receive, looking back at it, now that it, uh, it's already happened for us in 1.5, that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit that Jesus not only has lived, died, and risen in our place, but that he has sent the Holy Spirit such that we experience the love of God accomplished for us, the forgiveness of God, the restoration of God accomplished for us in Jesus' cross personally. This word baptized, we're to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Baptized, in the Greek, baptizo, it literally means to be immersed or submerged in. You're going to be immersed or immersed in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be completely engulfed and covered with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Another sermon for another time. But it's the presence of God himself permanently at home with you and me. It's this new reality that we're invited to live in, in the personal presence of God. And Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 tells us that the moment that we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes himself permanently home with us as a down payment of the new creation life that is to come. And so the moment that we have given our, our, our lives to Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, the presence of God in the Holy Spirit is permanently with you. God himself, not just as an impersonal force, but personal and loving God with you forever, permanently at home with you. To put it another way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been submerged in the Holy Spirit. You're covered in the presence of God himself such that the truest thing about you is now wrapped up in God himself and how he relates to you and makes his presence with you by his grace because of what Jesus has already done for you. You're invited not just to something theoretical that's nice that God has done. You're invited to the personal experience of a new way of relating to God, a new way of relating to yourself, and a new way of relating to the world around us. There's finished work for us that we're invited to experience personally. The finished work that the Spirit whispers and bears witness to our spirit. Here's what Romans 8, 15 to 16 says, what the Spirit does in our lives, that we've not received a spirit of slavery in Romans 8, 15 to fall back into fear, but we've received a spirit of adoptions as firstborn heirs, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. There's a present reality that we're invited to, this finished work on our behalf that we experience personally by the Spirit that whispers, you're beloved. You're beloved not because of what you do. You're beloved not because of how you perform. You're beloved not because of what you bring to the table. You're beloved not because of your output, not because of your numbers, not because of what you accomplish in life. You're beloved because you're mine. You're beloved because I love you. 
That's the witness of the Spirit in our lives over and over and over again. God delights in you as a beloved child. And we see this no more more clearly than we reflect on the cross of Jesus for our behalf with fresh personal eyes. Because when we look at Jesus's finished work, that he died in our place, bearing the debt of our sin in our place, that we might be made right with God, we see that the stark reality that the rabbit hole of our sin goes far deeper than any of us will ever realize in this lifetime. And yet also the surprising reality that God loves us more than even in our wildest dreams. A God who loves us with self-giving, self-sacrificing love that would lead him to a cross on our behalf. And when we see that, it changes everything about the way we see the love of God for us. When we see that, it changes the way that we relate to ourselves because now we see this whole new basis for an identity in the love of God, not in anything we do or perform or output. And it changes the way we relate to the world because now we're free to do and to participate in the mission of God, not to prove something, not because we have a religious list of of things that we must now do, but because we've experienced a new reality. We're witnesses of something amazing, personal witnesses, not witnesses from a distance. And that completely reframes our calling in the world. So as we close here, we're seeing that we're invited into the mission of Jesus because the mission of Jesus continues through the people of Jesus. But the mission of Jesus is continued through people who are personal experiencers of Jesus. People who are in the Holy Spirit. People who are hearing from God, I love you. I love you simply because I love you. And because I love you, I've done for you what you couldn't have done for yourself. Because I love you, I've given of myself even when it cost me to forgive you of every sin, past, present, and future. To invite you into a whole new reality. And so reflecting on this has to begin with reflecting on what God has already done for us in Jesus. And so right now we're going to have some space to do so. I'm going to pray here to close us up and we're going to create a moment just to be still and silent and to receive what the Spirit might be wanting to continue to bear witness to in our spirits. So right now I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you and again this is our mileage is, very, is going to vary on how comfortable we are with this, and that is so okay. But we're just going to create a space, a, a moment of silence. I'm going to invite you all again, if you feel comfortable, to just have a posture of palms up as a way of kind of putting ourselves in this mindset of receiving from God. And we're just going to be quiet. We're going to reflect. Is there anything the Spirit is telling us? Is there anything we just heard from Scripture that, that the Spirit would invite us to apply to our lives personally? Is there anything that God has to say? Is there anything, any business that we need to do with God or come before God, confess or acknowledge before him or release release to him, release from our control to him? Just a moment to be with God. And so right now, let me pray and just invite us into this time and moment. And I'll, I'll pray to close this up here in a minute. But let's just come before the presence of God, quieting our spirits, looking out over the ocean, closing your eyes, whatever is best for you, but coming to do and to do business and to be with God. God, we love you. Thank you that your work for us is finished. That there's nothing we could ever do to make you love us more because you already love us fully and there's nothing that we'll ever do that would make you love us less because your love for us is not based on our performance or our output. That we're invited into this new way of relating to you and ourselves and the world. And um, Thank you for your grace. 
God, right now, would you speak? We just ask you, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. If you're comfortable, if just to yourself in your own heart and mind, just say those words, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. More of you. What might God be saying? The Spirit, Romans 8.16, bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Come, Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the life that you invite us to. Thank you for the purpose and mission and calling that you have on each of us. And thank you that it's not a list of obligations and to-dos and checklists, but it's a simply a response to what we've seen and heard. The love of God poured out for us in Jesus. Spirit, would you continue to minister to us? Would you help us to learn what it looks like in our time studying the book of Acts and our, and our, our individual lives scattered out from this community to teach us what it looks like to live in your power, to live in ongoing connection with you, not just compartmentalized into certain places, but in every area of our lives. We love you. We're so grateful for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Taylor. And each week we end our service by remembering the completed work of Jesus as represented by this table with these small symbols of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. And so we invite you to come to the table. It's how we just end the service. You can take the communion cup and there's a little tiny cracker which represents Jesus' body that he gave he gave to us, and that night before he was crucified, he invited his, his disciples to do this, and every time they do it, to do it in remembrance of Jesus. So as we reflect on Taylor's words and the, uh, the completed work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf, I invite you to take the bread. And he said, eat it, all of you. And then there's the other side, the cup with the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, which is shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins, opening up this new way that Taylor spoke of, an, uh, of relating to God, not on the basis of our perfection or performance, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. And I think it's unique that he invites us to come together to this table 
Many people in the body, many parts, but one table, one bread, one blood. And so in all of our vast diversity, we come to this one table together to celebrate what Jesus has done and then to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to move out in celebration to our week. So you're welcome to come. Ron's going to keep the music playing. And we just have a soft close to the service. It's over when you decide that it's over. So God bless you and have an amazing week. We'll see you around town this week.